Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Barza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hey, Roxy. Um, please forgive me if I sound a little off today. I've been sick all week, and I've been coughing my lungs out over the weekend. Oh, uh, no, Robin. You have to make sure you take your meds. But we are back with a great lineup of topics, including Skyscanner, which was acquired for £1.4 billion by C-Trip, uh, Latvia that has passed a startup innovation tax law that aims to double its VC funding. We'll cover some startup funding as usual, focusing on French startup Wind, UK's PatSnap and Turkish startup Parasuit. We also have two interviews this week, so one with Mary Eklund from Young Venture Capital firm Daphne and Amir Segal, who's the VP International for Hotel Tonight. And finally, we'll wrap it up with a startup feature with French startup Agricool. So we'll jump right in with the acquisition of Skyscanner. So the Scottish startup was acquired for £1.4 billion by China's C-Trip. It's an online travel company. The Edinburgh-based startup was founded in 2003. They have 500 employees and they will continue to operate independently. The deal should close before the end of the year. Um, and Skyscanner has actually raised over $200 million to date from investors like Scottish Equity Partners, Vitruvian Partners, and Sequoia Capital, even Yahoo Japan. Now we've started to see a growing interest in Chinese investors and acquirers in European tech companies. Earlier this year, we covered Norwegian company Opera's takeover of its consumer business by a Chinese consortium of internet firms. I have to say also, I didn't know C-Trip prior to this announcement, but it's the largest online travel agency in China. The company is listed on NASDAQ. It's partially controlled by Chinese internet company Baidu. And they did the equivalent of $50 billion in transactions last year. What's also been really interesting to see regarding this particular deal is the British reaction to a Chinese acquisition of this size post-Brexit. So some media, including the BBC, have actually questioned whether it's a good or bad thing for the British economy. Robin, what's your take on all of this? Well, I don't know about the last part, but I do have a few takes. Um, first of all, I've been tracking Skyscanner for a while now. Um, I'm a big fan and, and a bit of a power user of their product, which is the, the online flight search and price comparison service. Works really well. Um, but also because I've always felt this company wasn't being highlighted often enough as one of uh, Europe's unicorns and one of the, the global leaders in their field. Um, they've been very careful about raising venture funding, actually. Um, you mentioned that they did raise quite a bit of money, um, close to $200 million. Um, but I also happen to know that some of these rounds were secondary. So, so that means existing investors and perhaps even founders and, and, and employees even uh, were at least partially bought out even years ago. So this is also why I was actually expecting the company to pursue an IPO in 2017 rather than agree to an acquisition. Clearly, they, they weighed their options. Uh, they felt C-Trip was the better deal. And obviously also in part because they've been saying for years that most of Skyscanner's revenue growth was likely to come from Asia in the coming years. So, so it's a big area of uh, focus for them. Now, our partners at the uh, company DealRoom, uh, they ran the numbers. They noted that the deal valuation uh, for this acquisition is roughly a multiple of 12 times uh, Skyscanner's revenues in 2015, and then about 10 times based on the income from the last 12 months. Um, so that's obviously a good deal. Uh, it makes it the seventh largest venture-backed exit in European tech history, so that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, but it's also not that extraordinary in the sense that the multiples are actually quite close. 
uh, to those of Trivago when they were acquired by Expedia in late 2012. Um, and speaking of Trivago, here's another European tech travel company that's uh, shooting for an exit, in their case, their second, um, as the company just filed for an IPO in the US. Um, now, the question is, if Skyscanner's acquisition will propel interest in Trivago's and shares and then drive up its valuation when it IPOs. Uh, and some are actually already speculating that Trivago may be worth between six and seven billion dollars if and when it goes public. Uh, so that should be very interesting to watch. But that's two European tech travel companies, uh, you know, one big acquisition and one IPO to come. Yeah, really interesting space. And just in case anyone missed it, there was another interesting acquisition from Europe this week. It's Estonian company Vital Fields, which develops a farm management software. It was sold to Monsanto for an undisclosed amount. Vital Fields, which was founded in 2011, received investment from Monsanto Growth Ventures earlier this year. I think it's a really interesting deal, especially given Monsanto's kind of controversial brand. But now Latvia, yes, actually Latvia plans to double the amount of VC in the country with a new tax law. First, Robin, do you know how much VC money there is in Latvia or can you name any Latvia-based VCs or investors? Um, Well, I've never been to Latvia myself, but I hope to make it to Riga next February for a conference. Well, there's obviously a small startup scene. Uh, It's a small country, so that's kind of logical. Infogram's probably the best-known name out there from Riga. Um, they also know a few others like Wonderful, Airdoc, Sonarworks. That's about it. Uh, and to answer your question, I think Latvian startups, to the best of my knowledge, only raised between 5 and $10 million in total this year uh, so far. And I can only name one VC uh, from the top of my head, and that's uh, Flycap. So not a lot of knowledge. That's still a pretty good rundown, I think, on the Latvian uh, startup ecosystem. But Latvian Startup Association has announced that the parliament has passed a new law. And from what I've understood, it primarily aims at people and social costs. So today, uh, when a startup in Latvia receives money, I guess roughly 50% goes to salary and social costs. Therefore, this new law would introduce flat taxes in order to limit the amount that companies spend on these taxes. The hope is that this will help companies become more efficient in their spending, and it should allow companies to better retain top talent. This is not the first time we see a Baltic state try to tackle the issue of startup funding. Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania have pulled together to make the Baltic Innovation Fund, which invests 130 million euros across the region. Estonia also has another 60 million venture fund that it announced this year. But I wonder if this is really the first time we're seeing countries go at the problem from a tax angle. So Robin, what do you think? Hmm, probably not the first time, but very interesting that they actually enshrined it in law. It's an interesting initiative for sure. Um, it remains to be seen if this will have any significant impact on startup and funding activity, which is, as I mentioned, quite low. And in the way that the small Baltic nation is perceived by foreign investors, which I think is also quite uh, important for them. Now, one interesting thing to note is that the Latvian Startup Association that actually spearheaded this law, Part of this association is Daniel Spavlutz. Uh, he's the former Minister of Economics of Latvia. Um, so that means he knows quite a lot about the regulation and the tax policy in the country. Uh, and he know, also knows how it should be modified to the benefit of startups. So, so I'm sure that the actual specifics of the law work really well for Latvia. Now, and, and this is something that I repeat ad nauseum, um, lowering taxes for early stage businesses is only a very, very small part of a very complicated puzzle that an ecosystem is made of. 
um, right? So you have investors, infrastructure, visibility, and so on. So whatever this new law ends up generating in terms of results, um, I'm sure it will take a lot of time and hard work from from multiple stakeholders to really boost uh, the Latvian startup scene. Uh, but it should be interesting to watch, and and if it could serve as a blueprint for other other Baltic nations or other small countries in Europe. Yeah, I think you have a really good point, especially with that last bit about it's not just lowering taxes that's going to make the difference uh, in the Latvian ecosystem, but definitely a good start. And now for funding, um, as always, we have way too many rounds of funding to cover on the podcast. So we decided to feature just three, a French startup Wind, British startup Patsnap, and Turkish startup Parasute. So first, French startup Wind announced this week that it had raised $30 million in a Series B with Sodexo Ventures, Orange Digital Ventures, and BPI France, which is in just about every deal ever done in France, I feel like. They also have funding from Alvin Capital, which was in their first round. Um, and that's a really great fund that has backed some startups like Stripe. So Wind develops a SaaS point-of-sales solution used in restaurants and stores. And it has actually a number of really big-name customers using the products like Carrefour, Gary Lafayette, Quick, Sodexo, Total, and more. The company says they will be using this funding for international expansion. Guess there's nothing too surprising there. But the market they currently have their eyes on is the UK, and they should be launching that relatively soon. Next up, we have a, a British startup called Patsnap. Um, now, they've, they've raised a Series C round. They haven't actually disclosed the amount, uh, but they raised a Series C with Sequoia Capital, Shunwei Capital, and Qualgro. Um, and these last two are uh, funds that are strongly focused on Asia. Uh, now, Patsnap is a cloud company. They provide IP solutions powered by artificial intelligence and machine learning. They have a pretty, pretty solid customer base, um, the likes of IBM, NASA, uh, Vodafone, the U.S. Department of Defense. I also saw the MIT uh, was a customer. Um, so that's nothing to sneeze at. The company is about 400 employees in the U.K. and China. As I said, they didn't disclose the rounds, uh, the size of the the rounds, but they've previously raised about fourteen point six million dollars. And Business Insider actually reported that the Series C round was in the tens of millions of dollars. So should be interesting to dig into. Uh, what's also interesting is that Sequoia seems to be doing more and more investments in Europe. Uh, we mentioned earlier that they were uh, invested in Skyscanner, but in the UK they've also invested in companies like Sonkick. Uh, which was actually their first UK investment, and, and Capillary Technologies. And then Sequoia is also invested in Sweden, um, Klarna and Truecolor. Yeah, and finally, we wrap it up with Turkish financial SaaS startup Parasute, or actually I've heard it's called Parachute as well, that has secured $2 million and a B round from investors, including 500 startups and Turkish funds, Diffusion Capital Partners, and Revo Capital, and also a Palo Alto-based fund, Ribbit Capital. So Parasute develops cloud-based bookkeeping, invoice, and financial management uh, platform. The company currently has 110,000 customers, primarily SMEs. They're either testing or using the product. Uh, Parasute is also one of 13 companies supported by 500 startups in Turkey, which is pretty impressive. And now for this week, we have two interviews. Uh, we'll start with Mary Eklund from young venture capital firm Daphne and move on to Amir Segal, who's the VP International at Hotel Tonight. So, hey, this is Robin from TechU and I'm here in Paris. I'm, in, I'm with Marie Ekeland from Daphne, which is a new kind of VC. Can you briefly explain what makes you different? Sure. So um, we tried to... Uh build a better value proposition for both our entrepreneurs and investors by building a community around the fund that is plugged on a digital platform and totally engaged with us in both the deal sourcing, the analysis of the deal flow, and then afterwards, the follow-up on all the companies that we will invest in. 
All right. We're going to come back to that with more detail soon, but maybe some basics about the fund. How much have you raised? How long have you been around? And what's your focus? Sure. So we just raised a 150 million euro fund. We'll be investing in early stage uh, European startups. And uh, we've been around for quite a while. We're a co-founding team of five people. Um, I've been investing in venture myself for the past 15 years. Seeded companies like Criteo invested in uh, in other great French uh, startups. And um, we will also be investing in what we call the uh, European DNA. Uh, when we uh, asked ourselves in which type of company we should invest in Europe, and we thought, you know, we want to invest in companies that because they're born in Europe have better chances of becoming international champions. And the way we looked at it was to look at the usage. And to say, well, in Europe, we have a greater sense of collectiveness. You can, you can see in the quality of infrastructures like telecom, transportation, energy, and the fact that when we think education around healthcare, around insurance, we think in a very inclusive way or sharing economy is mostly used in Europe than anywhere else. Open source was born in Europe. Airbnb is 58% of their usage in Europe. So trying to make a society in itself. Second pillar is the quality of life, trying to build greater balance between professional and, and um, private life. And that drives industries like culture, like tourism, like food, a greater sense around privacy. And the third pillar is what we call inventiveness with both the uh, creative industries or creative uh, savoir-faire that we have in Europe around fashion, luxury, or other uh, creative industries, but also the um, engineering savoir-faire uh, from a long time ago that we have in Europe. So investing in all these different usage and um, thinking that it's actually a very strong differentiator for European startups than from U.S. startups. Great. And you mentioned that the approach you take is very community-driven. It's also quite software-driven. You build your own software. Um, can you briefly elaborate on how that works? Sure. So founders apply online to uh, ask for Daphne to invest in, in their companies. And afterwards, all our community is actually based, has, has the feed of all the deal flow coming in. And they will only see uh, the uh, deals that the founders have authorized them to see. So we're really trying to build trust on the digital platform. Uh, they also have to engage themselves in declaring they're not conflicted and things like that. But then they have access to the whole information founders give us. And this is our, basically our working tool as well. And then they will comment it, tell them, tell us, you know, we know the competitor in Berlin you should have a look at, or I know the team, they're super good or things like that. And that is enriching our own uh, analysis process. And one of the reasons being that in Europe, we're, we're generalist investors. And so having access to a lot of different skill sets in the community to have a better understanding of the uh, differentiator of one particular company or the technology edge they have or what's going on in different markets is super interesting for us. Speaking of which, what's going on in the French markets? Um, you're obviously very close to, to the Paris ecosystem in particular, but what do you see happening here? Um, there's a lot of dynamism, a lot of early stage startups uh, coming in. It's very vibrant uh, in Paris. It's also uh, very tech driven. So we, uh, we have in, in France some strong expertise in bridging the hardware and the software world, for example, uh, and in having a pretty uh, a lot of focus on design but also what's interesting is we're going to a more and more science in startups we can see that there's this second generation of digital transformation that is coming in where it's not only about disintermediating and reintermediating industry through uh, platforms it's also a lot in having 
different disruptions in older industries which uh, are asking for um, the mixing of worlds with more scientific backgrounds, so like healthcare or like uh, just basic industries. Right. What about financial services? Because it seems to me like fintech, everyone always talks about London, but in reality, there's a lot going on in France as well. Yes, and also in particular in intertech. We have very strong uh, insurance players in France, like AXA, or, and, um, and the intertech uh, companies that we're seeing are quite uh, interesting in, in Paris as well. Yeah. Great. Um, any other verticals that you think might be interesting or might be growing to global leaders out of France? Sure. So sharing economy is a big part as well. We have uh, obviously BlaBlaCar that has shown the way and built a, a very strong uh, model for French entrepreneurs. But we also have La Riche Kidiwi, where right. uh, USV Ventures invested a year ago, uh, and other collaborative players which uh, which are which are growing. So that would be a, a pretty uh, interesting uh, vertical to, or not vertical, but at least model to look at. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you, Marie, and best of luck with Daphne. Thank you very much. See you soon. Hey, this is Robin from TechEU. I'm here in Paris for an event with BNP Paribas, and I'm here with Amir from Hotel Tonight. Can you briefly introduce yourself and the company? Sure. So uh, my name is Amir Segal. Uh, I'm uh, originally from Israel, and I'm the VP of International for Hotel Tonight. Uh, so Hotel Tonight is a mobile app uh, for last-minute hotel reservations. You can book the best deals that you can find on the market uh, seven days in advance and same day as well. And we work in 36 countries and something like close to 2,000 cities today. So if you're looking for a hotel last minute, uh, we're your best bet. Great. Um, now, this is, I think, the first time that I've ever interviewed a non-European company for TechEU because that's kind of our focus. But the reason, the reason that I really wanted to talk to you tonight is... Uh, because Hotel Tonight's business is so, well, I, I wouldn't say reliant on, on Europe, but it's such a huge part of the business. And, you know, you've, you've focused so much on expanding here. Um, so I would love to know some of the numbers, like how many cities are you in, in Europe? Or what's your next target? How many people do you have here? Uh, give me the basics. So we have uh, around 15 million downloads worldwide. Something around 2-3 million of those are in Europe. Um, we operate today in around 500 cities around Europe. As I mentioned, we're overall in 36 countries. Something like 30 of those would be uh, uh, in EMEA, and uh, it's it's a it's a significant part of our business. I can't share the exact numbers, uh, but it is definitely growing uh, fast and growing faster than our North American business. And uh, we are continuing to develop our user base here. So we've um, started out uh, something like um, five and a half years ago in North America. So we still have. Uh, our, our business in Europe benefits from the fact that we have our North American user base that is using us when they travel in Europe. And we've been developing over the last few years our local user base in each of the countries that we operate in. So um, no, notably in the countries where we have offices which uh, in Europe, which are um, Paris in France, uh, London in the UK, and Berlin in Germany. Um, so we do a lot of you know, campaigns in those, in those markets to develop our local user base. Great. Well, let's talk about that. What's your go-to-market strategy? Because obviously, um, hotel booking is kind of a, I'm not going to say saturated, but this is a space that a lot of um, companies play in, of course. So how do you differentiate? What makes you different? So you're right. It's a very, very competitive space. And um, so I, I think the way that we differentiate ourselves, we, we like to think about it both in terms of the customers and in terms of the hotels. So uh, from the customer side, uh, we provide a platform that is very fast. So you book a hotel with three taps and a swipe. So it takes you 10 seconds and you have a hotel um, and, you know, you're on the go. You need something fast and quick. Uh, we show you only 15 hotels at a time. Um, so 
every time that you open up Hotel Tonight, wherever you are and whatever you're looking for, you know that you will find something that meets your budget uh, and something, and you're not going to have to spend a lot of time looking around on it. While on other OTA websites, you're going to spend sometimes a very, very long time sifting through very, very long lists of hotels with a lot of details that you're not interested in. Um, so we're the platform where you get uh, what it, you get this task done very, very fast, and you know that you're getting the best deal that exists. That's from the customer side. And then from the hotel side, uh, we provide a very safe environment for hotels to discount because uh, we're a mobile-only platform. Hotels feel very comfortable to, um, to, to use us. And also we provide them incremental business. Unlike other OTAs that uh, cannibalize hotels' business, we provide them incremental uh, bookings and we provide them an, uh, it's basically an acquisition channel for them because customers who open up hotel tonight, they never know which hotels are going to be available. Right. So for them, they're discovering these new hotels and if they like them next time that they have a trip planned in advance, they will actually go directly to that hotel and book with them. Great. Um, what's your next step as a company? So um, we've recently announced a few months ago that we've became uh, we've become profitable since April of this year, uh, which has been a big step for us. And uh, we've worked very hard to get there. And we actually got there faster than what we expected. So our plan is to continue to grow sustainably, meaning we want to maintain our profitability and uh, uh, con- continue to uh, grow fast as we're growing uh, right now and uh, continue to develop, as I mentioned before, in Europe. The focus is on continuing to develop our current user base, um, getting our, our brand uh, out there uh, to more people uh, so more people can benefit from the great deals that we have. And so, you know, we've gotten to the place where we want to be, and it's basically continuing on that path yep. and just becoming a bigger company. And I hear that an IPO is also uh, in the cards. So um, we've been, we've been uh, looking into that um, the, the way we look at it right now is we want to make ourselves IPO ready. That means that we want to take all the action. We want to be, first of all, big enough to be able to to have that as an option. And also, um, you know, we're still a kind of a startup company. So there's a lot of uh, regulatory stuff that we need to take care of. We don't have a plan to necessarily IPO. We want to make that one of our options. And so we're taking the necessary steps to be able to get there. Whether we do it or not or when, that depends on a lot of other factors, sure. some of which don't depend on us. So uh, we'll wait and see, yeah. uh, but we want to create the option for us to be able to to make that move. All right, point taken. Very well. Um, maybe final question, maybe a weird one, but I always wondered: Do European customers experience the app differently in the sense that you have to cater to Europeans in a different way that you would cater to customers in North America? Uh, it's a very interesting question, and it's something that I you know think about a lot every day. Uh, there are several aspects to that. I would say one aspect is obviously the language. So, you know, we have uh, the app is you now translated into six different languages. Um, so we want to create that experience for people to, you know, use the app in their own language. But then there are other factors that also come into play in terms of the type of inventory that we have. We see differences, for example, between what American bookers uh, book, the types of hotels that they book when they travel in Europe, and between what Europeans book. Um, you know, Americans uh, tend to trust more bigger brands or chain type of hotels. They want to uh, stay more like in the center of the city, whereas we see Europeans um, uh, are more interested in more design hotels, boutique. Uh, boutique, you know, kind of independent properties and getting that more unique experience. Think about uh, um, products like Airbnb. You know, that's I think one of the reasons they've been very, very successful in Europe is because it's more appealing to European sure. customers in that in that sense. Um, so. And then there are a lot of small things that we look at in terms of the product experience that we kind of optimize to make the experience as much as, you know, as, as possible, uh, um, um, adaptable to each user base that we, that we cater to. Great. Very interesting. Well, it's, it's kind of amazing because I've installed the app maybe five times on different phones and I've never actually booked a hotel for real till tonight. I think I'm too paranoid to book same day. And in my mind, it's still the same day booking app. And then for some reason, but I'll, I'll get to using it at some point. But thank you so much for taking the time, Amir, and best of luck with Hotel Tonight here in Europe. 
Sure. Thanks a lot, Robin. And finally, this week's startup feature is French startup Agricool, which is kind of uniquely approaching the agriculture space. The Paris-based startup has just announced a $4.3 million round to harvest fruits and vegetables in shipping containers, which means now produce can be grown just about anywhere, including in central Paris. I had a chance to actually visit one of the prototypes, and it's really impressive. They have a really unique vision. Also, it's very strange (laughs) and unusual to see strawberries growing vertically rather than horizontally. Um, The startup had previously secured funding from Xavier Niel's Kima Ventures, and they now have raised funds with Daphne. I think this is actually one of their first investments. Also, French entrepreneurs uh, Henri Sedou, who's the founder of Parrot, and Jean-Daniel Guyot, who's the founder of Captain Train, which was sold to Trainline, are also in this round. Uh, The startup has big goals, big plans to turn agriculture completely on its head. They want to develop a very strong urban farming solution. So in 2017, they plan to produce 91 tons of strawberries from 17 containers that they will set up in Paris. Thanks, Roxanne. That's amazing. And I keep on being amazed at the kind of companies that come out of France lately. Um, it's a very, very interesting ecosystem to keep watching. Somewhat peculiar startup, though. I'm very interested to see how they do. Um, that actually brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. Um, you can follow Roxanne on Twitter. She's at Roxanne Barza and myself at Robin Waters. And of course, you can also follow tech.eu, uh, which uses the handle at tech underscore EU. Thanks again and hope to welcome you back next week. Bye, Roxanne. Bye. Bye.